Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come here and celebrate this morning as we continue our theme this morning of shifting our focus to celebration. What a celebration we're having this morning and we're looking forward to more at Christmas time. Lord, we just lift your name high. You are the reason we celebrate this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, team. You guys can take a seat. So we are shifting our focus to celebration this month in December. It's a good month to be doing that. Obviously, lots of celebrations going on. We've already been having some in our family, at my work, etc. You probably have as well. And it's ironic because it's such a time of celebration, not just for the church, but just for our society in general. It's ironic that at this time, a lot of people in our community lose hope. Christmas is supposed to be a season of hope, but you know, those of you who, who work in primary care industries, for example, who work in healthcare or the police force or uh, social work, etc., etc., you'll know that a lot of people lose hope at this time of year. A lot of people feel like they're on the outside looking in to the celebrations that are going on. And so I want to talk this morning about is it possible for us to live a life of celebration? Even amongst the, you know, the things that life throws at us, life sometimes is full of joyous moments and sometimes it's not. There are moments in life which are, really make you not feel like celebrating. Is it possible for us to live a life of celebration no matter what is going on around us, no matter what our circumstances are? You know, I think there's a difference between living a life of celebration versus living a life of celebrations. People are searching for joy. They're searching for something to fulfill them, to satisfy them. And sometimes it's like you're moving from one thing to another, trying to get that next fix of joy, trying to get that next thing that's going to satisfy you. That's a life of celebrations. It's like working for the weekend. You know, if you're stuck in a, a dead-end job and you hate it, but you get through it, you just work nine to five, Monday to Friday, it's a grind, but you do it because you know the weekend's coming. Well, I hope you enjoy the weekend if that's your situation, but that's not really living a life of celebration. That's not living a life of celebration throughout our whole lives. Is it possible to do that? This is what Jesus calls the abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, that you may have life to the full, that you may truly live. This is why Jesus came. And Jesus himself lived that abundant life, and yet he had his share of bad times. I mean, he's described in the Bible as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus knows all about sorrow and grief, anxiety, betrayal, hard times, and yet he was able to live a life of celebration, no matter what was going on around him. Is it possible for us to do the same? And I'm not talking about pretending to celebrate. I mean, we can, we can hype ourselves up. We can make it look on the outside like we're celebrating, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's the kind of thing that will just destroy you in the end. 
If you're trying to portray something else to other people, while inside you feel like there's no joy, like you've lost all your joy, that is the way that will destroy you. So I'm not talking about pretending. The opposite of a life of celebration isn't a life of mourning. It's not a life of sorrow or sadness. The opposite of a life of celebration is a life of apathy, a life of just existing. Maybe some of you feel like at the moment that you're just existing, just going through one day and just getting to the next day and every day is the same and it's become monotonous, it's become boring and there's just no joy left inside. I want to talk this morning about how we can live a life of celebration. So how do we take hold of this abundant life? Well, at the moment we're in the season of Advent, so this is the weeks leading up to Christmas. Christians have always thought of this as a special time, not just Christmas Day, but the weeks leading up is Advent, and traditionally, I mean, this is a tradition that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and traditionally at Advent, it's been a time for remembering, reflecting, remembering Jesus' birth, yes, his birth in Bethlehem, God became a human being, we've already talked about that a little bit this morning, a time for remembering that, but also, traditionally, Advent has been, about half of Advent has been focused not on Jesus' first coming, but on his second coming as well. We don't just remember what's been in the past, although that's important, we remember the future as well. That's a weird thing to say, remember the future. The future hasn't happened yet, right? Well, we'll get to that. There's a a sort of a common view in our society that living for the moment is what it's all about. The past is gone Forget about it. The future is uncertain. Who knows what's going to happen there? So just live in the moment. The moment is all we've got. But the Bible pushes back against that kind of pop psychology. And it says, no, it's really important for you to fully live in the present. It's really important that you remember the past and that you remember the future. So what does it mean to remember? I got an email recently from a professional society that I'm involved in, a scientific organization, which I'm a member of. And they said, in the email it said, please remember that we have a code of conduct that it's on the website, it covers these areas. Please remember this. Now, what was their purpose in... That wasn't just to me, by the way. That was uh, a generic email that went to everybody. I saw you looking at me strangely, Anna. What was, their, what was their purpose in saying that? Please remember this code of conduct. It wasn't to remind us that the code of conduct exists so that we could just know in our heads that it exists. They're saying, remember that it exists and act in accordance with it. Yeah. Act out of it. Live in accordance with it. That's what it means to remember. Yeah. And that's what the Bible means when the Bible talks about remembering. That is the way it uses that word, remember. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2. I'll just set the scene. So God has made a promise to Abraham that his descendants are going to be a great nation. They're going to live in this land that God has chosen for them. And soon after that promise, Abraham's descendants actually go the other way from that land. They go to Egypt and they become enslaved there. And they're slaves there for 400 years. And then we read in Exodus chapter 2. 
23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. What does it mean that God remembered his covenant with them? Was God up in heaven, and he's like, what's that noise? I can hear a noise. It sounds like someone groaning. What? Oh, that's right. My covenant. I forgot for 400 years. No, what it means is God has remembered his covenant, and he's about to act. He's about to do something. He's about to live out that remembrance through his actions. And that's exactly what he does. He does something amazing, bring his people out of Egypt. That's a great story. I'm not going to tell that story this morning. But God knows how important it is for us to remember. How important it is for us to remember who he is, what he's done, what he will do. And I want to tell a story this morning. This is a story from the book of Joshua, which highlights how we can remember, how we can remember. So, a bit of background to this story. Going on, God does lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. They wander around for a bit, and they come to the border of this land that God has promised to Abraham. They're right on the border. And at the border, there is a river. Speaking of river, I'm going to have a drink. At the border, there is a river. And how are they going to get across this river? It's not just, there's a lot of people, obviously, but it's not just the people. They've got all their stuff. They've got their animals and their baggage and all that kind of stuff. How are they going to get across? And so God says to Joshua, who's their leader, get some priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a sacred box that God had had them build, which was a symbol of his presence with his people. Get them to carry that box into the middle of the river and the waters are going to stop upstream and you're all just going to be able to cross over through the river. And so that's what they do. The priests grab the Ark of the Covenant, they walk in. If I was one of those, I might have been a little nervous going in because if God doesn't come through here, not only am I probably going to get washed away, but the Ark of the Covenant is going to end up on the bottom of the river. But as soon as they step foot into the river, the waters stop and the people are all able to go over onto the other side, into the promised land. And I'll pick up the story here in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God, Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and they constructed the memorial there. 
And Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. Why did God have them build a memorial on the other side? It wasn't because God needed a memorial so that he could show how great he was. It wasn't for his sake that he had them build a memorial. It was for their sake. You need to remember, he says. You need to remember what I've done here. This is going to be really important, not just for you, but for the ones who are coming after you as well. They are going to need to know what's happened. It's really important that you remember because remembering what God has done in the past It propels us into the future. It gives us faith that God is going to come through us now. It gives us confidence that God is going to act when we need him to act. And it gives us confidence in his promises. So, what memorials are you building in your life? And it doesn't have to be a pile of stones, right? If you want to build a pile of stones in your backyard because that has some special significance to you, then fine. But what, what traditions are you building into your family that allow you to remember what God has done in your family in the past? What traditions are we building here in our church that allow us to remember, that constantly bring it into our mind? Sometimes we just need something in our face to say, remember. So that when, you know, a couple of generations after this, a young Israelite boy's out hunting by the river and he sees these stones... And it's just a reminder, it's in his face. Yes, these came from the bottom of the Jordan River. That's right. That's when God brought our people into this land. But get creative, right? You can build memorials in all sorts of ways. When my little sister got pregnant, uh, this is a while ago now, a few years ago, and she, it was the first time she'd been pregnant, so it was very exciting. She's the baby of our family, so it's very exciting. And she went to the doctor, and they did the usual things. They do a scan and so on. And the doctor said to her, I've got some bad news. This pregnancy is ectopic, which means that the baby's not where it's supposed to be. It's, it's very dangerous for the mother. It's certainly fatal for the baby. And so we... When she told us that news, she was obviously very distraught. We as a family started praying. I've been very fortunate to grow up in a family which believes in the power of prayer. And so we started praying for her and for that baby. And a little while after that, she went back to the doctor. They had to have a meeting about what are the options here, which there's there's actually not that many options, unfortunately. And the doctor said, "We'll, we'll do another scan. Did another scan and the baby was exactly where it was supposed to be right where it was supposed to be and later on that year when she gave birth to her baby my niece she called her Zoe which means life because God had brought life out of death and that is my niece's name is a memorial in our family of what God has done so get creative right Don't be limited by just building a pile of rocks or or a name, right? These are just examples, but get creative, but do it. Build memorials to what God has done so that you can remember because it's so easy for us to forget. But here's the key thing about memorials, all right? When God leads the people of Israel across the river and they build this memorial, 
He doesn't say to them, now, set up camp around this memorial. You're going to live here from now on, on the bank of the Jordan River. No, he says, build this memorial and then move in. There's more. This is not the final thing that I've got for you. I've done this so that you can go on to other things, so that you can go on and take this land. You're going to be a light to the nations in this land. How sad would it be if they had just set up camp there and lived on the bank of the Jordan? We remember the past, what God has done in the past, not not so that we can live in the past, but so that it can spur us on to the future, to what else God has for us. We had our 23rd anniversary as a church last week, had a big celebration, that was great. But how lame would it be if we just got together every Sunday and talked about what God was doing back in 96? Oh man, you should have been here back in 96, the Spirit was moving, God was doing things, people were getting healed, people were getting saved. All right, that's it, see you next week, we'll talk again about what God did in 96. That would be so lame. That's not what we want to do. But we do want to remember what God did because that gives us faith and confidence to move on into what God's got for us in the future. Looking back helps us to look forward. So I said before we need to remember the future, which is a strange phrase. But, you know, God has revealed to us what the future holds. In the Bible, God has revealed to us what the future holds. It doesn't have uh, the next week's lotto tickets or anything like that, so don't, don't look for that. But, but what does God say about our future? In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There is a place for you in God's kingdom. I'm preparing it. It's, it's done, right? It's certain. It's a done deal. That is your future. That's where you're heading. But it's not a place of just existing. It's not... It really just blows my mind how in our society, I guess it's understandable, a picture of heaven has kind of crept in where a lot of people, if you ask them, what's your view of heaven? They think of, well, it's a, they got a picture in their heads of them sitting on a cloud maybe. Maybe there's a few other people sitting on clouds around them. There's an angel in the corner playing the harp, right? That, that is a picture of just existing. That sounds terrible to me. But that's not, what, that's not how the Bible talks about heaven. Yeah. The Bible talks about heaven as a celebration. The kingdom of God is a celebration. Yeah. Jesus tells a story in Luke 14 about what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a man who throws a party and he invites the sort of the usual people who you would invite to a party, right? The, the people on the inner circles and the, the well-to-do and those kind of people. And they all come back and say, sorry, I'm busy with work, I'm... Uh, busy with family, whatever, I can't come. And so this man says to his servants, okay, I want you to go out into the the highways and byways, go into the street corners, the alleyways, get the poor, the sick, the oppressed, the outcasts, bring all of them in because we are going to have a celebration. If some people don't want to be part of this celebration, well, that's on them. But we are going to have a celebration and the kingdom of God is going to be full of those who don't feel like they belong, who don't feel like they're the right kind of person to be invited to a party, who don't feel like they're the right kind of person to be on the inner circle of anything. The people who feel like they're always on the outside looking in, these are exactly the kind of people that Jesus invites into his kingdom. If we don't remember 
that this is our future. A celebration, a celebration in the kingdom of God. One of the most common uh, descriptions of heaven in the Bible is as a feast. And Jesus is the Lord of this feast. And this is a guy who when the wine runs out, he just turns water into wine, you know. Jesus knows how to throw a party. But if if we don't remember that this is our future, we will constantly be looking for, we will constantly be holding on to the things now that we think make us worthy of being invited to parties, worthy of being invited onto the inner circle, our reputation, our looks, our popularity, whatever. We will hold on to it because we think if we lose that, now we're no longer worthy of being on the inner circle. But that is, God's kingdom just turns all of that upside down. God invites those people who feel like they're unworthy, who don't feel like they belong, into his kingdom celebration. This is the ironic thing about the kingdom of God, that if you're seeking joy, if you're living a life of celebrations, you know, moving from one thing to another, just seeking the next thing that's going to bring you some joy, you won't find joy what you'll find is anxiety. You'll, you'll constantly be worried that you're not going to be invited to the next thing, that you're not going to be in on the next thing. You'll be constantly trying to make yourself better in order to be you know, accepted by other people, accepted by God even. But the upside-down nature of God's kingdom says, seek God and you will find joy. If you seek joy... You won't find it, but if you seek God and his kingdom, you will find joy. Because as we seek his kingdom, his spirit comes to live inside us. And as Paul says in Galatians, his spirit in us produces joy like a fruit. It just grows in our lives naturally, organically, inevitably, as his spirit comes to live within us. Seek God's kingdom, and you will find joy. So to truly live in the present, we need to remember the past. We need to remember the future, to live this life of abundance. But how easily we forget, how easily We forget the things that God has done in the past, the promises that God has made in the future. How many times, I can't can't count the number of times this has happened to me. I wonder if you can relate to this. God does something in your life, something amazing, something worth celebrating, and you do celebrate it. But then a little bit of time goes on and that thought starts to creep in your mind. Did God really do that? Was that really... God? Was that just a coincidence? Yeah, I know I, I found that money that I needed at the right time or I, I was healed of this, I was sick and then I wasn't sick anymore of this thing or I was praying for a person and then they came to me and told me of a, an experience they'd had with God. But was that really God? Was that just a coincidence? That is the oldest trick in the book. The oldest trick in the book. Literally. The, you see it on the, the second page of the Bible. Humans in the garden, and the serpent comes to them and says, 
Did God really say that? Does God really, is God really looking out for you? Does God really have your best interests at heart? It's the oldest trick in the book, and yet we fall for it again and again, again and again. Can't blame Adam and Eve, because we would have done exactly the same thing. The Israelites fell for it. They come into the land, they build this memorial, they move in to take over this land, but you literally turn over the page from when they build this memorial, and already things are starting to go wrong. You've got one family that's in trouble, they've been disobeying God and, and not not thinking that he's going to have their backs. And then you read on through Joshua into Judges and then things really start going off the rails. And the history of God's people in the Bible is a history of them continually forgetting and God continually trying to remind them. God sends prophet after prophet saying, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. Not that the people had you know, forgotten in their heads that he exists, Live accordingly. Remember the Lord and live that out in your lives. Let that influence your life and your actions and your thoughts and everything that comes out of you. Let that be influenced by remembering the Lord. But time and time again, they forgot. Time and time again, we forget. The people can't or won't or don't remember And they're still building memorials, by the way, but they're not building them to remember what God has done anymore. Now they're building memorials to other gods. They're building memorials to their own achievements. You know, we we get this amazing uh, kind of tragic picture of the King Solomon in the Bible who was one of the greatest, he had everything he needed to be one of the greatest kings and he's, he built God's temple. He was the first king that built a temple for God, and it's pretty amazing. But then the narrator of the story says, and after that, Solomon spent twice as long and built a palace for himself that was twice as big as the temple. And it starts to go wrong from there. It starts to go wrong for Solomon. He's building a memorial to himself rather than to remember what God has done. So what happens? Does God discard his people? Does he say, you guys are just too forgetful? That's it. I've given you plenty of chances. That's it. No, he doesn't say that. He shows what an extravagantly, impossibly gracious God he is. And he says, if my people won't remember, then I will remember for them. And God himself decides to build a memorial. The father sends the son to earth. He's born in Bethlehem. He grows to become a man who's crucified outside of Jerusalem. And through his death and resurrection, he overcomes sin and death and everything that's wrong with our world, everything that's corrupted our world, Jesus overcame all of it at the cross. And this is the memorial that God built, the cross of Jesus. This is what God chooses to remember. When he looks at the mess of human history, when he looks at the mess that I make in my life, the mess that you make in your life, he doesn't choose to remember 
that. He chooses to remember the cross. That's the memorial that he built. So when life has beaten you down, when you don't feel like you can remember, when you don't feel like you can remember what God has done in the past, when you don't feel like you can trust in the promises of God for the future, God says to you, I will remember for both of us. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's why we celebrate. That's why Christmas is such a time of celebration because it's not a time when God says, if you make yourselves worthy, you can come to my party. God says, come into my party although you're not worthy. Come in although you're not the right kind of person. I want you here. I want you here. And if you can't remember, I will remember. That is the kind of God we worship. Can I get the team back up? You know, one of the other ways that we uh, remember who God is and what he's done is here at church on a Sunday. And some of the songs we sing are just really suited for that purpose. And I wonder if we could go back into um, Waymaker, the chorus of Waymaker. Is that right? I just want us to declare for a bit who God is and what he's done. Let's remember. We're singing these words not because God needs to hear them, but because we need to remember them. We need to remember that God is the way maker, that God is the promise keeper. This is for our benefit. So if you're feeling like this morning that you have forgotten, that maybe you used to remember, but you've forgotten, and you're living a life without joy, you're living a life that's just an existence, but you want that joy back. Come forward afterwards. We'll pray with you. We'll be happy to pray with you and keep praying with you because the Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God brings joy. So don't go through another Christmas feeling like you are joyless. The Spirit of God can bring joy and celebration into your life. And if this morning this is all new to you, and you don't even really know about this life of celebration that's available to you. You don't know about this abundant life that Jesus offers. That offer is extended to you right now, this morning. Whether, you, whether or not you think you're the right kind of person, God says, come in to my kingdom because I'm the right kind of God. Whether you're the right kind of person is not the point. I am the right kind of God and I will invite you into my kingdom celebration where you can celebrate with me for all eternity. Father God, we thank you that you are here this morning, that you continually offer that invitation to us. Though we are forgetful, you always remember. Though we are unfaithful, you are always faithful. So if there's anyone here this morning who wants to respond for the first time, why don't you put your hand up while everyone's in an attitude of prayer. That invitation is open to you this morning. And after the service is finished, if you want to come forward and pray with me or one of the other leaders, please do. Don't go home this morning feeling like you missed out on something, like the Spirit of God had something for you. If you feel that prompting in your spirit, that's not my words doing it. It's the Spirit of God who's here, wants to meet with you, connect with you, and bring you joy this morning. Don't leave if you want prayer.
Come forward afterwards.